0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey.
1: If we can put the
2: intellectual capital, the financial capital, and dogged determination to solve a problem, and then we can convert available technologies, you can solve the problem. There are ways if you converge the technologies and if you have the right business approach to the whole thing you can still produce all the materials that are needed for any human welfare and any human poverty related problems at the cheapest cost possible.
0: It's a great privilege to introduce Mohan Hazhatu, President and Chief Executive at Help Me See, an American non-profit providing advanced treatment surgery and training to eliminate unnecessary cataract blindness worldwide. Cataract blindness is the leading cause of avoidable blindness worldwide and can be treated with a quick yet safe five-minute surgical procedure. Help Me See has an extensive and growing network of cataract surgeons practicing in some of the world's poorest communities. By the end of 2013, it had completed 100,000 cataract surgeries through its Help Me See program. Mohan is a passionate, inspiring social entrepreneur.
1: Tell me a little bit about Help Me See and tell me about your journey and, um, yeah, since since you've been at, at the organization and, and, and you helped start it, I understand. Uh, well, let me start with uh, my journey uh,
2: uh, to, to begin with. Uh, I'm originally from India and uh, born and grew up there and uh, started my early career with a uh, uh, a mining company to begin with. Uh, and uh, soon, uh, sooner than later, I discovered that that's probably not my uh, best calling, uh, put it that way. Uh, and uh, I happened to meet uh,
1: one great person, uh, Mr. William Davidson. William Davidson
2: is a legend of my times in uh, that part of the world, in India at that time. Uh, he was engaged in... Uh, agricultural settlements for refugees. Uh, <clears throat> there is no other place to learn about entrepreneurship than working with refugees, because refugees come from different countries and different places and they are completely uprooted and they are um, they're like the um, uh, uh, rice paddies, you know, particularly when you transplant rice paddies or rice in, uh, rice in the paddies, they, grew mu- they grow much faster, they are very aggressive and they grow well. Uh, Refugee populations are like that because uh, they're just waiting for an opportunity to settle somewhere peacefully and uh, begin to reconstruct their life again. Uh, So I had the unique privilege of working with uh, Bill Davidson on uh, refugee settlements in India. And we resettled probably over 250,000-300,000 people. uh, Basically small townships of 32 houses each in agriculture uh, with uh, farming lands around. Uh, That is where my... um, baptism and fire uh, for social entrepreneurship come from.
1: Right, right. And what was it that that inspired you about that kind of work? First of all, I think uh, uh, it's a combination of uh, the skills of people uh,
2: with whom we are working and discovering their uh, ingenuity uh, to um, uh, survive and survive well. And uh, uh, the Tibetan refugees in India, uh, they they are a story in in themselves when they uh, fled from uh, China and moved over the Himalayas and then came over to India. Uh, They were working on the road construction projects up in the Himalayas and so on and so forth and uh, a lot of people perished uh, because of uh, sickness and poverty. And then finally when we decided to resettle them in agriculture, uh, that was a fresh lease of life for them. And uh, uh, we could find people to do uh, and people to learn anything and everything. Apart from their traditional craft that they brought in, like carpet weaving and animal rearing and so on and so forth, uh, they were also uh, they were also very adept uh, people in agriculture. Uh, so uh, they were very eager to learn. So we could set up, uh, say, for example, uh, with the uh, uh, a group of people of, say, 32 houses in each village, uh, construct the village, and then put them into the uh, houses, and then give them the farmlands, about two-thirds of an acre for every uh, uh, child, and four-fifths of an acre, uh, sorry, uh, two-fifths of an acre for every uh, every child, and four-fifths of an acre for every adult. That's a composition for the family, and then
1: once you hear yes. that
2: They work really, really hard. You have to chase them out of the field in the evening to go and get some meals because they continue to work all day and all night if they can. And they will never miss a planting season. And basically, I think today it's a successful story where the Tibetan communities in south of India, how they are living and thriving there.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So you realised that this was this kind of work, working in a in a social entrepreneurial environment, w- inspired you and 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 satisfied you in a way that conventional work didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and and tell me then about help me see and and you know the, the genesis, the beginning of, of, of that. Well, help me see is, again dream of another, uh, um,
2: I would say, a real entrepreneur and the real successful business venture uh, in uh, training of uh, uh, aircraft uh, pilots uh, uh, who started up uh, flight safety, uh, uh, Al Yochi. Uh, He started his business as a young kid uh, from a uh, burger stand to um, uh, basically teaching flying to the others and then becoming the personal pilot for um, uh, Juan Tripp, <coughs> the founder of Pan Am. And later on, he set up his own uh, pilot training company, which is Flight Safety. Uh, and he, his passion was flying. And he was passionately um, involved with every aspect of flying. And he found that uh, safe aviation requires the best trained, uh, well-trained pilots. Uh, and that's how he started Flight Safety. Uh, and he converted the flight safety organization with the best technology uh, that he could get into uh, in simulation. Uh, so simulation-based technologies in the 1950s and 60s were basically mechanical. Uh, he evolved that into electronic, and then today, uh, uh, aviation uh, or uh, flying, uh, of course, uh, God forbid, the Malaysian Airways kind of stuff doesn't ever happen, but uh, still aviation is, or uh, uh, flight is still the most safe form of transportation Al Yochi, because he believed in pilot training. Today, flight safety trains about uh, 75,000 pilots. And when he set up that uh, whole company and finally when he sold it to Warren Buffett, uh, he wanted to devote another part of his uh, 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 career and life in uh, really making um, uh, blindness as a cause that he would like to deal with and solve the problem of blindness in the world. And uh, that's where. Uh, Kind of figure out a solution for it. Uh, So uh, with every entrepreneur, it's also very important to have a mentor uh, who with whom you can work and make those
1: dreams uh, uh, possible. Absolutely. And when you looked at this problem, how did you look at it, and how did you come, how did you develop the idea for help me see? Blindness is a you know the
2: the second. Only most feared situation in your life after death, you know. I mean, uh, uh, if you to become blind is the worst thing that can happen. So it was a no-brainer that, that if you can solve one of those fundamental uh, uh, threats to human life, uh, that is something that is worthwhile doing. Uh, so the cause is so powerful, uh, and there is there are solutions to solve the problems. Like more than 60, 70 percent of the blindness in the world is simply, uh, simply. Uh, not necessary. For those people, it is not necessary to be blind. Uh, they are blind simply because they can't access a affordable, uh, high quality surgical procedure uh, for the simple problem or a, or a basic problem of a um, uh, cataract, which is clouding of the lens. Uh, if you grow, grow old too, uh, if you live too long or if you live long enough, you will get cataract and some, some Sometimes, sometimes even uh, there is a congenital issue of uh, cataract blindness uh, so uh, there is a solution uh, there is a problem there is a solution the question is uh, well-trained uh, and high uh, well-trained surgeons and high quality surgery available to the poorest of the population so how do you make that happen uh, so for me uh, working with uh, Al Yochi and now his uh, son uh, uh, jim Yochi it's a no-brainer uh, to deal with a
1: tell me about the early days then and you know some of the challenges getting a, a project like this off the ground the early days of Help Me See, um, in some ways,
2: I think um, uh, we tried our best, uh, together with uh, Al Yochi and Jim Yochi, we tried our best to convince um, Orbis, uh, which was founded by Al Yochi, And he donated the planes, and he donated or he secured the planes and uh, supported the organization for uh, 20, 25 years. Now we tried to convince them that they need to move in this direction. And they were simply not interested, in, uh, they were more interested in, uh, um, in the research and evaluation and, you know, advocacy and so on and so forth. Uh, so it was a little bit of a setback for us. So uh, when uh, we decided to start Help see, uh, and uh, again, the entrepreneurial side of it is that uh, the Al Yochi Foundation and uh, the family, both Al and Jim Yochi, their uh, position was that, look, we will do our fair share, but we need to run this as a business. How do you do that? Uh, Obviously, you need to find other investing partners or other interested parties to become uh, 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 or join the cause. So that is the initial challenge. Um, uh, On the one hand, you have the security of support uh, from an initial investor. And on the other hand, you need to make it happen with uh, support that you can. Um, the, uh, once they have done their once they are prepared to do their fair share, uh, how do you gather the support for uh, uh, from the general public and in a
1: very significant way? Right, right. And what makes you think that? What made you think that it would be important to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, make make money and, and uh, rather than you know be a charity per se? Well, we are still we are not for profit, uh, yes. but it, the way that we run,
2: it is run as a business. It is not run as a as a you know a, 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 what do you call it a usual uh, charitable organization structure. Uh, so, uh, which essentially means is that we have a a very very direct and strong focus on our customers. Uh, and again, this is not to say that charities don't don't do job or anything, but many charities become too much involved in their own processes and internal philosophies and so on and so forth. In our case, we are absolutely and directly focused on the blind person and also the surgeon who does the surgery. Uh, We we do not have any other institutional biases or anything. So to me, I think the fundamental principle in entrepreneurial uh, uh, philanthropy or uh, social enterprise is to bring that customer focus. Uh, And how do you bring the customer focus uh, to the person who is ultimately benefiting from what you do? And how do you structure your program around that? Uh, That that to me is the kind of uh,
1: most interesting challenge right uh, absolutely and in terms then of you obviously working as a team how important you mentioned having a mentor the importance generally of having a mentor but how important do you think as a social entrepreneur particularly where you can be working in areas where uh, poor infrastructure lack of, lack of structure it's you know uh, many many more uncertainties indeed than 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 a uh, contemporary uh, entrepreneur maybe um Presumably, uh, the, this team and support is, is crucial. Absolutely. Uh, to me, I think
2: uh, in a social entrepreneurship, you need uh, several things. I think mentor investors. You know, it is not only just mentoring, it's also people who are prepared to put money. Uh, uh, money into uh, the enterprise you know what i mean uh, so you need the seed capital without the seed capital you cannot do anything uh, capital is fundamental so you need the capital you need uh, 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 the, the, the support and at the same time you also need a a, a composition of or convergence of technologies uh, in order to solve the most difficult problems in this world um, uh, you know, if, we, if human beings could go to moon with a computer that is uh, smaller than or is smaller in terms of capacity than today's cell phone, that speaks to, speaks to itself, isn't it? We can do tremendous things with so little, but then there are inertias all, alo- all along the way. And so the difficulties that you're talking about, uh, uh, access, uh, knowing where people are, Uh, getting the surgeons these are all problems but they are not insurmountable Uh, how did we solve the problem of um, uh, smallpox Uh, smallpox was a very very difficult uh, disease Uh, uh, millions of people got killed and maimed and so on and so forth but we could find a solution in terms of the vaccine and then Get that vaccine out to those people uh, uh, right into the 70s. We had that problem, but in the 80s, we solved the problem. If we can put uh, 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 basically the intellectual capital, uh, the the financial, uh, uh, intellectual and financial capital, uh, get dogged uh, determination to solve a problem, and then we can convert available technologies, you can solve
1: the problem. That's what is kind of uh, exciting in social entrepreneurship. That's a very positive, uh, inspiring perspective. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, In terms of uh, fundraising, I think social entrepreneurs face particular challenges, fundraising. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about why it's a particular challenge and what insights you have or lessons about how to go about that? Fundraising will always be a challenge, in the sense that uh,
2: you will never have enough resources uh, that it, that you will need to solve a gigantic problems like problem like this. The only way the fundraising challenge can be solved, um, uh, or, or or one of the one of the ways that I think it can be solved, is by constant leveraging. And uh, one, of the, again, one of the fundamental philosophies that I have in my life, and uh, again I think that's why I call myself a social entrepreneur, I don't think and nobody is rich enough not to receive and nobody is uh, poor enough not to give. Everybody can leverage whatever resources that they have, if they have the determination to solve a particular problem. Uh, but obviously that determination is the most important thing. Uh, I have seen in the surgical clinics that we support in Nepal and so on and so forth, uh, families who travel 300 miles and probably walk over uh, 10, 15 miles uh, to get to a clinic and get their eye surgery done. Uh, They may not have any money, but they have the doggedness, the determination to solve their own problem. So to me, it is leveraging uh, the capability. Leveraging the uh, the advantages of technology in such a manner uh, that there is a role for everyone to play, and we can leverage their commitment and resources to solve the problem. So, in terms of fundraising, if you took a problem like uh, eliminating cataract blindness, in my estimation, it might cost about four and a half to five billion dollars worldwide is based on the assumption that there are about 22 million people who are bilaterally blind needlessly due to cataract and each surgery will cost anything between say 30 to $50 <laughs> and the child surgeries will cost about $350. Now, if you went with that as a portfolio uh, to anybody, uh, uh, if, uh, say particularly in even in the developed world, uh, they'll say that's too much money that anybody can have. Nobody can do it. But when you break that into pieces and then say, okay, uh, if you took that four and a half million or $5 billion, uh, 60 to 70 million surgeries is what we need to deliver. And in order to deliver those surgeries, uh, how much is required, what is required, and where it is required. And then you can kind of say, all right, we can begin to leverage some of the monies required for this whole uh, program uh, and leverage the, uh, uh, the, 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 the resources required uh, right from the place where it needs the problem need to be solved uh, like I was in uh, Africa uh, traveling in the last uh, a few weeks a few months sorry uh, and uh, uh, speaking to every single country government and once they uh, see that there is a solution for it uh, is a, 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 a simple act like declaring cataract surgery as essential surgery and integrated to the primary health care program itself if a surgery does, does cost about say, fifteen dollars. I can easily see a third of that cost coming from the country itself. And again, it's a question of making it affordable. Yes, yes, yes. The procedure is affordable and it's a high quality procedure. (laughs) Another example, Uh, there is tremendous waste that is happening, particularly in the surgical delivery system because that's what I'm focused on at the moment. Uh, Look at it this way. I was in Yamashogoro, in uh, Yamashogoro, the capital city of uh, Cote d'Ivoire. In Yamasukuru, uh, a, a, a nice surgeon charges today 200 to 220 US dollars equivalent in order to perform a cataract surgery with just the uh, cataract lens being removed with no intraocular lens implanted. Can you imagine that? Now, we can get the surgical supplies needed for the same surgery with the intraocular lens with a uh, with a, a non-suturing, non-sutureless uh, uh, manual small incision surgery uh, for not more than $15. These poor people are paying way beyond their means and ability for a procedure which should cost
1: only one-fourth of what they are asked to pay today. Yes, yes, so it's, it's shocking. A, it's shocking, but it is real.
2: I'm not making this up at all. These numbers are all absolutely real. <laughs> So our goal is, uh, in again, in coming to social entrepreneurship, leveraging, uh, finding cost efficiencies, and getting high quality procedure at the procedure, high quality products and procedures at the lowest cost possible. And it is possible to do it. Like we start off an idea with uh, uh, with uh, 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 disposable surgical kits. Because one of the problems in basic surgeries, as you know, is that uh, the contamination is a problem, (coughs) complications is a problem, Uh, uh, infections coming out of uh, uh, poorly sterilized equipment and so on and so forth. Say, for example, I was in the Gambia, traveling around in the Gambia, (coughs) they said, look, uh, they had a big uh, central, uh, uh, what is it called, Uh, the uh, uh, sterilization system uh, where they brought the uh, all the surgical tools to a central location in the Gambia. Gambia is a small country. They brought every day or every two, three days uh, all the surgical uh, tools that they used in the villages into the central uh, 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 surgical uh, sterilization unit where they had big autoclaves and they uh, reached, uh, they sterilized and repackaged it and sent it in vans uh, to the local clinics. But you know, the fact is that by the time these surgical equipment uh, sterilized ones, reach the local clinics it's already contaminated with all the fine dust that gets into the whole thing we said look why don't we have a pre-sterilized single-use kit great idea started discussing with the best suppliers in the world uh, um, i don't want to name companies or anything and we went to them the best producer they said oh nothing oh, in the europe we are already doing it uh, it will cost about three to four hundred dollars a kit okay we started with that Said, fine. So we, we sat with our medical team and our chief medical officer and the others. They, we said, okay, standardize the whole kit, rationalize all the supplies that are needed. We don't want to kind of uh, 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 take away any item out, which is absolutely essential. At the same time, we don't want to oversupply stuff. Uh, but at the same time, uh, once you take the kit, it should be adequate to do the entire process of the surgery. So they standardized the kit. Then we sourced that whole kit. All around the world including in China and in India in different places today in fact today I am signing a purchase, purchase order for a very high quality single-use pre-sterilized gamma sterilized kit which will withstand for three to six months
1: <coughs>
2: me. in terms of its, uh, uh, its uh, shelf life I can do it for
1: 31 dollars and 50 cents Wow, that's an extraordinary uh, reduction in the price. What's the lesson there, Mohan? The lesson there is that there are ways if you
2: converge the technologies and if you have the right business approach to the whole thing, you can still produce uh, all the materials that are needed for any human welfare and any human poverty-related problems at the cheapest cost possible. It is possible in a very cost efficient way possible
1: Yes. in communities where people can afford only a uh, dollar a day income
2: or communities with a dollar a day income or two dollars a day income they
1: can put something into that and then make it affordable for them so this idea is of a partnership I mean getting these cost savings you probably need to be quite determined when you're negotiating with people absolutely, every, every small step of the way so there's a determination to take each step, break down a problem into its elements and optimize each little piece and push to get as good a deal and, and uh, uh, as you can. Yeah, you need to deal at the
2: uh, individual pieces level and at the aggregate level, and bring the convergence of technologies. Uh, Like, for example, uh, gamma sterilization. Gamma sterilization is very safe, and so on and so forth. But then, how do you make sure that the gamma sterilization is done right? Uh, How do you make sure that it is cost-effective? So, uh, you need to kind of work at technology level, as well as at the individual pieces level, to make it
1: cost-efficient. Yes, yes. Now, just to change gear a little bit, just briefly... Social entrepreneurship is a growing area. Covers many different kinds of organizations. I suppose. What do you think needs to happen to for this to continue to develop and grow and reach its potential? When you say you know reach its potential,
2: I feel that the potential is already uh, there, and it's a question of um, uh, uh, when you say potential. You know the the way that you ask that question, it, it kind of takes. That maybe uh, the social entrepreneurship is not grown enough, or it is not uh, it is not reached its uh, full potential. <clears throat> I feel that uh, I have a little bit of a contrarian view. It is a it, it's a view that human beings are very very ingenuous. Uh, if you are able to get uh, uh, social entrepreneurship as an idea, uh, that it can work, uh, that it uh, is it can yield results, uh, and if you can get a capital? It is not. I think uh, there is enough money for everybody. Uh, You know, uh, is it a lack of uh, uh, supplies or lack of technology? I don't think so, because technology will always be there if you have the determination. It's
1: a question of uh, putting the right pieces together. Yes, and uh, I think, are you also suggesting that communication is important? Because once you start to look into this, and I'm looking at interviewees for this podcast, you realize what a vast number of amazing, uh, inspiring projects, social entrepreneurs, and social businesses, and hybrid businesses that are out there, and the wide range of problems that they are dealing with very effectively. Yet, that's not something that's always apparent. Uh, that's a good point i think it need to be communicated it need to be lessons can be learned from uh, all over
2: the place uh, and you will also uh, hear about enough number of uh, failed experiments or failed entrepreneurships uh, or uh, failed enterprises uh, you have also lessons to learn from that too uh, so uh, it is
1: not just the successes that need to be communicated but also the failures yes yes what, happens, uh, what keeps you going mohan have there been difficult times in this project in this business that's what I was going to say. Look, uh, uh, as
2: much as uh, there are successes that I can uh, be, get inspired about, I also uh, know that there are so many failures that could happen, uh, many failures that I myself am aware of, in the sense that uh, even working in, uh, uh, working with uh, uh, some of the communities and, uh, say, for example, war-torn countries and so on and so forth, it's not always an e- it's not always an easy thing to do. Uh, it's not an all, It's not always easy to get things done. Uh, so there are always limitations to that. Uh, look at the whole fight against uh, polio. Uh, every time we think that we have uh, solved the problem, uh, suddenly it crops up in some place or the other because of uh, uh, social or cultural or uh, those kind of issues. Uh, so, uh, yes, there are failures too uh, in that sense that we cannot get the consensus of the world in a direction to solve a particular problem.
1: It's, it's not always um, a singular path. What what keeps you going? Who inspires you, Mohan? As I said, I was very fortunate in my
2: life. Uh, in all my career, I had uh, excellent, excellent mentors from uh, Bill Davidson, who was doggedly uh, determined to resettle all the uh, all the refugees in agriculture and earn their own livelihood and become successful citizens, uh, to Al Yochi and... Uh, uh, his vision about uh, how uh, technology and simulation can solve a problem of surgical training and then how that can lead into uh, solutions. Uh, so once you get that kind of a, a, a strong, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, mentorship, uh, it's not easy to get out of it. You, know?
1: uh, you get so determined to make that happen. Uh, uh, absolutely. And for anyone who wants to follow in your footsteps, as it were, uh, what advice would you give them?
2: I would say, seek your passion, look for your mentors and uh, mentors who can uh, uh, support uh, not only financially, but also with ideas. Uh, To me, it's not all, it's not, I wouldn't say that nothing is about money. Uh, Yes, there is something about money, but it's not all about money. It's all about, uh, it's mostly about ideas and ideas that can
1: work and you're getting passionate about it.
0: Fantastic. That's very inspiring Mohan. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.